Well, well, well. Another show. It's Wednesday. Uh, Bob, you said earlier um, it's hump day. Is that, was that from like Guardians of the Galaxies or Thor or some shit? I, no, I'm just saying it. Isn't one of those, doesn't one of those characters say that shit all the time just to be... I don't know. Uh, either way, it's Wednesday. Is it, and, and it's Wednesday hump days because of like, what, what is the, where's it's the middle from? of the work week? So you're getting over the hump. Why wouldn't it be a valley? I feel like it's the worst day of the week. You're good. You coast Thursday, Friday. You're just coasting downhill. I started coasting on Monday. I know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're not a valid office to uh, compare that <laughs> yeah, to. Fair enough. Um, <clears throat> today we've got Christian Toto, founder of Hollywood and Toto, the right take on entertainment. Um, you're a film critic. Indeed, yeah, I've been doing it for about 20 years now. And how's that gone, being someone who's not... Uh, I, I think I've heard you talk uh, to other people about this, <clears throat> and uh, the general consensus amongst most reasonable people is that <clears throat> folks in entertainment, particularly in Hollywood, have lost their minds and blah, blah, blah. I don't think it's that. I think, and I've heard you mention this before that they're just uh, i don't well you haven't said they're cowards i'll say that for you but <laughs> uh you know the the scenario you describe is is cowardice right so it's like the difference there, there's a good uh and, and one of the interviews i've seen of yours and it, maybe it's in the book um <clears throat> you draw a comparison between mark Wahlberg and jimmy kimmel right both of whom have done some sketchy shit in the past, maybe. Uh, uh, Marky Mark, when he was a child, really, he was 19, I think. Um, Kemmel, when he was in his late 30s, which is quite a bit different, and he did, he did blackface and a number of other things that weren't exactly uh, kosher, but because he's cozied up to the wokeness in Hollywood, his crimes kind of go unmentioned, and because Mark Wahlberg is just apolitical in general and doesn't get involved in any of that stuff, his get brought up anytime you know he gets brought up. So I don't think it's that they're they've lost their mind. I think they're really smart. They're just cowards. They're afraid to say what they think. Well, I think it's fear across the board, but I think it's cowardly when you have people who are who have the cachet to fight back and don't. Like I I mentioned Stephen King quite a bit because one of the richest authors around has got a you know decades of goodwill. Uh, certainly doesn't need love and affection at this point. And if he was canceled for any reason, I, I, he'd just fall back on his pile of money. But when the cancel culture mob came for him, he basically uh, said, "Yes, you're right. I'm wrong," and did an apology tour. So I, I think you know i I have a I have some empathy for actors and talent who are just starting out, who are new, who don't have the financial resources and who are afraid of what's going on in the culture. And they know that if they say the wrong thing, that they may never rise to the top. They may never get that great gig. But I also have a different feel for people who are at or near the top, like the Jimmy Kimmels, the Stephen Colbert's, who either cheer on cancel culture or pretend like it's not a, uh, an existential threat to creative freedom, because it is. Right. I mean, <clears throat> so The Rock... Supported Joe Rogan and then didn't support Joe Rogan. And then immediately after that, a video of him, which most people had already seen, mocking Asian people, uh, uh, came out and, and, but nothing. Like there was no further discussion of it. It's very bizarre to me how that happens. Uh, but I guess it is, uh, you know, every, everybody kind of does that. Um, Republicans have been pretending like they, they're still conservatives in 
that have an R at the end of their name and political office for what 30 years now. So that's um, like it, expanding over. It, I, I'm just the point is everybody kind of does that, but this one seems particularly egregious because you're holding people to a standard that essentially can disrupt, if not outright, end their career in entertainment, right? Yeah, and an awful. It's often for things that were done years ago, decades ago, that was at the time considered either appropriate or not outrageously offensive. So, you know, how do you live a life and try to be a good person and then think, okay, well, I I don't know what, you know, what our culture will look like 10 years from now. Maybe things I'm saying, maybe shows I'm producing right now will be deemed offensive in 10, 20 years, or maybe even earlier. So it's this whole, uh, you know, culture where you have to kind of walk on eggshells. You don't know what's right, what's wrong. And also, it's also wildly inconsistent. Like you said, you know, if you, if you kind of toe the progressive line, there's a good chance you'll get away with all the junk in your back, in your past. But if you don't kind of kind of align with that worldview, uh, you're more susceptible. It's like Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart was a very apolitical guy, very funny, very upbeat guy. If you look at him on social media, he's very positive. And, you know, he doesn't really get into the nitty gritty of politics. So when his uh, material from like 10 or so years ago resurfaced and it was kind of crude about being having a gay son, he was ripe for attack and they kicked him off the Oscar hosting duties. So that's that's where we are. Yeah, that's uh, that's really fun. I can't imagine Kevin Hart taking a political stance, right? <laughs> I mean, it's it seemed like um, for a very long time, comedy was the one bastion of entertainment that was kind of unaffected by that. And then George Bush came around and to get an sometime around 2003, 2004 to get an easy applause break, you just said, Oh, Bush sucks in a, in a standup room. And everybody's like, wow, you're so brave to say that. (laughs) Um, So you've written this book. It's titled virtue bombs. How Hollywood Got Woke and Lost Its Soul. You've been covering Hollywood for a long time, uh, both culture and film. Um, How did this start, do you think? Because it used to be, even into the 70s, I mean, you're you're talking about like uh, John Wayne and uh, Clint Eastwood and people like that were some of the most famous dudes in Hollywood through the 60s and 70s, right? And then Clint Eastwood through the 70s and 80s. Um, Bruce Willis as well was one of the top action stars. He's a noted Republican. But then it went a little wild somewhere. And where was it, in your opinion? Well, I mean, I think that Hollywood got got much more political during the Bush years. Uh, The anti-war fervor certainly kicked in in a way that I hadn't seen before. I think that's one change that is noticeable. But I, I think what's happening now in the culture, in Hollywood culture, is either a reflection of or an outgrowth of the overall culture that we're living through. You know, a couple of years ago, they made a movie, No Safe Spaces, about what's going on in college campuses. And they said, you know, by the way, this might leak into the real world. And of course, it leaked in in a very aggressive fashion in record time. So I think Hollywood is reflecting that to a certain degree. Uh, I also think that Hollywood, I mentioned fear before. I think Hollywood has always been fearful, the mm-hmm. community. You've got actors who are afraid of the younger, prettier star behind them. You've got actors who are afraid if their next movie bombs, they may not get the best the best scripts you know, down the road. Are they good looking enough? What happens if they get wrinkled, they lose their hair? So I, I think fear is baked into the cake, but now you kind of layer on this sort of woke mindset where, oh my gosh, did I say the wrong thing? Did I, did I say the right thing well enough on social media? So I, I think it's been kind of bubbling up, but I think it really kind of hit warp speed. Maybe 
maybe 2016. I remember the the Ghostbusters debacle, the, the four female Ghostbusters, and how the media treated that movie, and how the culture treated that movie. How it was important, it was empowering, and if you had any sort of quibbles about the movie, you were deemed a misogynist. And I, I think that was one of the, those moments where we people think, well, oh my gosh, things are changing, the culture is changing. I think even film critics reviewed that one on a curve, hoping to kind of boost it. And, uh, you know, and that's not even me saying that Richard Roper, a left-leaning film critic mentioned that a while ago. So uh, it happens in fits and starts. I think it does sort of mirror the culture at large. Uh, but I think that the political nature of Hollywood really did kick in during the Bush years. And then Trump, of course, was just poured rocket fuel all over everything. Sure. Um, <clears throat> do you think it's weird in the new Ghostbusters, same as the old one that the, uh, as inclusive as they tried to be, the the black lead character was still a blue collar person, while everybody else was a well educated white woman. Is that weird to you? Like, it, you know, how, like how tone deaf exactly are these folks? And that maybe that's the problem. It's like this impossible to meet purity standard. Like, no matter how far you go, you can never get to a place where you're completely beyond reproach. And that's kind of how you know it's a fucking stupid system, right? Yeah, I mean, I think we overanalyze everything. And look at that movie. It's Leslie Jones. She mm. is big. She is tall. Mm. She has a very boisterous, outsized personality. So I don't think you look at her and say, I'm going to make her a bookworm. I mean, that's kind of, it'd be tough to kind of swallow it just yeah. based on what, on what she brings to a movie uh, theater. So, you know, there were people who said, oh, look, they put the black person was the blue collar. I mean, that argument was raised at the time of the movie. <laughs> uh, so you're, you're not wrong in a way. But at the end of the day, it is just one movie. It is just one character. Uh, you know, if you are upset about that, then maybe make another movie with another black woman, uh, female character who's more nuanced and more sophisticated. You know, then Hidden Figures came out, I guess, maybe a little bit after that movie that told the heroic story of those three uh, female scientists who were black and how they were mistreated and how they, they what they contributed to the, the space program. So there's room for lots of stories. And I, I think we, I, we do ourselves a disservice when we kind of uh, nitpick these certain situations, but that's what happens across the culture. But I, what I don't like about that is that it often will prevent storytellers from telling the stories they want to share because yeah. you want to have the creative freedom to say, Hey, this story I'm writing, uh, there's a, a black character and he's downtrodden, but you know what? He is the hero. He does rise up. He does have a wonderful arc and I want to share that story. And, and if you get, if you kind of short circuit that process, I think that's where the art kind of fails. Yeah, for sure. And it's, you know, I, I've always kind of rebuffed the idea that we should be repackaging old things with new uh moralistic viewpoints you know what i mean like that that doesn't really make any sense that's not who that like it it's kind of an erasure situation right i mean <clears throat> one of the big problems in the west right now is that we solve problems so well that the next generation forgets why we had to solve that problem in the first place and they recreate the problem by jettisoning the very reasonable and 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 uh effective solution that we created for it and, you know, when you start taking people, <clears throat> when you start reimagining who characters were based mm -hmm. on today, like, so there's this, uh, it, uh, Douglas Murray's got a new book out, The War on the West. Um, and in it, he talks about how uh, Mikhail Foucault is a child rapist, but that all gets covered up because people believe in postmodernism. Um, Marx was a notorious racist and that gets covered up because people like socialism and Marxism and stuff. 
Um, and the the response to that is, well, they were men of their time. Like, yeah, of course, everybody is a as a man or woman of their time. People are going to behave the way people behaved then. I think you make the point <clears throat> um, that R- Disney movie that The Rock did. I don't know what the fuck it's called because it's that's garbage television to me. But uh, <laughs> Jungle uh, Cruise, maybe? Uh, maybe Jungle Cruise. That's so stupid. Um, uh, yeah, he he's there's a scene where he's. Uh, this big powerful fucking dude and uh some dude kind of subtly tells him he's gay and he's like oh it's cool brother whatever like no that's not a, that's not at all what would have happened in 1910 <laughs> exactly come on man like why what what is the point of that exactly if you're making your movie just to proselytize and propagandize then do that and say that's what you're doing but fuck man i can't i just can't with this sh- shit anymore it's it's so hard to watch yeah, yeah someone you know- uh, i was just real quick on that <laughs> note yeah. about the rock Someone literally called Ty Cobb black in harsher terms than that, and he ran up into the stands and beat the crap out of them in like 1910. Yeah, yeah, Ty Cobb was, uh, and it's it's really refutable. It's really easy for him to refute whether or not he was black. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, the moment you're mentioning is, is is a really small moment in that film. Mm. But when you're in the audience, to me at least, it, it rips you out of the experience because mm. you know it's the filmmakers trying to send a message. I have no problem with gay people at all. But yes, if you had a a, <laughs> a hard scrabble sea captain kind of guy who looked like the rock, this big bruising guy, and then someone tenderly expresses how he's gay, that's not how things would have played out. So why would you even put it in the movie? It's such a weird little mm. note. Um, and again, if you want to set it in modern times, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. You know, a guy like the rock would certainly be open to him and, and be supportive of him. That's wonderful. We all want yeah. that. And we don't want to see the rock beat the hell out of the guy. Well, that wouldn't even be a- he's gay either. Cause then you're not rooting for the rock and the rock is supposed to be the good guy. It's just this warped twisted thing where you have to inject your ideology into stories where they don't really belong. Sometimes yeah. they do often. They don't. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, I don't think it would even be a conversation today. Like if we, if we were, if, if, if a group of people or even just me and some other person, um, were doing some kind of activity, traveling somewhere, working in a shop, uh, uh, seeing each other in a grocery store or something. And the guys all of a sudden like, Hey, you know what? I'm kind of gay. I'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? Nobody cares. What what else? Are you vegan too? Shut the fuck up, man. Like no one cares about these qualities in your life anymore. You, you, we've, we've. We've gotten past it, right, as a, as a society. And <clears throat> I think that's where, in my opinion, the woke stuff, it wasn't, just, it wasn't just the stuff at universities and it wasn't just the, the, the rebuttal to Trumpism and all this stuff. I really think it was <clears throat> an industrial complex to solve sexism and racism and all this other stuff that figured out that they uh, are now antiquated and all of their funding is going to dry up unless they convince people once again that this is the biggest possible issue that we were ever going to face in our lives. And this is simply not true, right? Yeah. I mean, I I think if you look at what BLM is, is, is trying to tell us, they're describing an America that maybe was 60 years ago. Mm. They're not describing the America that I live in, where people of all colors and races just interact with each other and say hello at the supermarket and you know share a, a cubicle at work. It's, it's, it's absurd. And it's sort of, I think part of this woke ideology is, is tapping into this sense that things haven't changed, that things haven't evolved, that we haven't grown. And we all have. 
and that's a good thing. And, uh, but it, it just, it's almost comical at times, but you know, this woke stuff, <laughs> it's funny. My son is 13 and I don't really kind of talk about the work I do with him. Mm. I just kind of want him. I mean, at some point I will, but I, I just, he's a kid. I just let him be a kid. No. But he comes to me, he, he kind of, we actually watched the Jungle Cruise movie together and he was pointing out these sort of woke moments. I didn't say anything. I was just sitting there being a dad watching mm. the movie with him. So it is interesting. Maybe, maybe the young, young generation are going to kind of fight back at this because uh, the, the 20 somethings are certainly on board, sadly. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it does seem like that is kind of the thing that happens, right? I mean, the, the Reagan, the young Reagan Republicans were anti- parents like their their boomer parents i guess or their whatever uh greatest some of the greatest generation parents that kind of uh towards the the later end of that generation uh uh you know i don't know they went to woodstock they did a bunch of acid and decided that life's not fair you know what i mean uh which is something that people always knew that life wasn't fair and they just realized that it was a universal constant and there's nothing you can do about that so maybe let's work on this whole food and, and drinking water situation and <laughs> leave our feelings behind it. Uh, I want to get back to the, <clears throat> the choices that Hollywood seems to make. Uh, I, I know a lot of it is because of their, uh, because of how large the Chinese box office is, like the superhero movies in particular, but now we're even seeing the superhero movies get infiltrated by China in a way that, that, is predictable, but uh, it's it's a very interesting scenario to watch. All these super woke Hollywood people kowtow to anti-gay China, right, and remove scenes and stuff like that. It's it's like when somebody's uh, making a really stupid argument, and all of a sudden they you can see that moment in their eyes where they realize their argument's stupid. <laughs> and they don't know what to do. That's I feel like that's kind of where we are right now in 2021 and 22 so far with the with the stuff. What what are you seeing on that front? Yeah, the China thing is interesting because uh, you're right. The the you know Hollywood activism is large and it's powerful and it's vocal. But then when China is you know having concentration camps and Disney's playing footsie with them, no one says a word. So the hypocrisy is off the charts. But the interesting development with the China situation. And uh, I believe the book is called Red Carpet, by the way. It came out just a few months ago, and it really does chronicle the Hollywood-China connection beautifully, and, and it's a very powerful book. But what, what China did, basically, was they studied American movie making, and they actually hired some American filmmakers as well, and basically learned how to make an American-style blockbuster. So now they're doing that. And they're putting their very pro-communist themes in their movies and pro-patriotic themes in their movies. And now the Chinese audiences are saying, well, I don't need to see the American imports. I can go watch my own country's films. So American box office overseas in China is is dropping dramatically. Uh, The Chinese-made movies are rising. And all of a sudden, the movies that America had that would make a killing in China aren't making a killing or aren't even released. I know there have been multiple Marvel movies that just didn't even get released in China for a variety of reasons. So I think China will be more and more restrictive. I think the money coming from Chinese movie theaters will be less and less. And I, I kind of glibly say, it's a kind of an echo of my book, that you know Hollywood sold its soul to China. And now, what do you got for it? Because uh, right now, I think the, their, the revenue stream continues to shrink. And I think that's the, the path of the future. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's the Michael Bay right style movies the christopher yeah. Christ, christopher <clears throat> nolan style maybe a little bit uh big glossy loud yeah. exciting roller coasters 
you know, that's fine. We do them, mm-hmm. we do them well, and now they can do them too. And they're fun too. I mean, look, this, our, our favorite movie stars through the 80s and 90s wasn't, they, they weren't necessarily like Sydney Portier and people like that. It was fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger and you know what I mean? Yeah. And Van Damme and people like that <laughs> who had no real acting talent at all, but they made these big, dumb movies. And we're America. We like big, dumb shit, you know? Um, so we've seen the, uh, the fall of comedy, right? There, hasn't been, there haven't been very many good comedy movies because, yeah. uh, uh, in a long time because the two dudes who were making most of them, right, like Adam McKay and, and uh, uh, what's his name, Judd Apatow, they, <clears throat> they pretty much, they've, they've surrendered entirely. They're, they're people who, just like uh, Amy Schumer and a, quite a few other people, Jimmy Kimmel's one of them, they made millions of dollars climbing the ladder using whatever methodology they could think of to do that. And it was pretty funny, honestly. And then they pulled the ladder up behind them so nobody else could get up there. Uh, it's very bizarre. Well, there's a lot of things going on. One is Adam McKay, who did like Step Brothers and mm-hmm. uh, Anchorman. He wants to do more political films from the left of center perspective. So that's what he's doing right now. Uh, you know, and then Judd Apatow. Breaks my heart because I love his earlier mm-hmm. films. I think not a uh, forty-year-old virgin is just an absolute classic, and he's woke as you can possibly imagine. And his stuff just isn't as good as it used to be. So that's sad. But I think the more telling uh, anecdote is Todd Phillips. You don't mm-hmm. many people don't know his name, but he directed the Hangover films. Yep. I think he did Road Trip. He did a lot of. I think Old School is is one of his as well. And here's a guy who makes a lot of money making these kind of body outrageous R-rated comedies. And he gave up on it. And when he, he actually did Joker, which was a huge hit. And when he was doing the press for Joker, he said, you know what? I look at the culture around us and you can't do the jokes I used to do. And you can't say the things you want to say. And there's all these restrictions. Um, he's like, screw it. So that, that's where he is right now. Yeah, quite a few, I think, um, people who have historically done comedies like that from script writing all the way to, to acting and producing have kind of bailed on it now or they're doing independent stuff. And so- with with this stuff going on in China, the more restrictive they become, obviously there's going to be a diminishing return on blockbuster movies, which is the tent. The blockbuster movie is the tent pole of the American film industry. That's why people continue to go. Like I'll go yeah. watch um, <clears throat> some artsy thing for every now and again, but most people go to the theaters to see big explosions. You know what I mean? Dinosaurs yeah. come to life with Chris Pratt trying to tame them and shit like that. Um, so are we going to see this, um, is the, is the blockbuster going to shrink away from the big screen now? And if so, is the big screen going to even persist in America? You know, I think the big screen has bounced back a little better than I thought. A few months ago, I was pretty pessimistic about where Holly, where the theaters would go after COVID. Uh, we are seeing some big results. Uh, the Batman film did very well, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. So I think we'll continue to see movies like that if they're good will kind of draw a pretty big crowd. But I wonder about sort of the smaller films or even just the mid-range ones, the dramas, the ones that, you know, that are more sophisticated, you know, do they have a home in a theater or are they best served as video on demand? So I think the marketplace will kind of shake out over the next couple of years. I'm, I'm a little pessimistic on that front. And maybe, you know, if it's a Ben Affleck drama about a guy dealing with sobriety, 
maybe that's best served as a video on demand. I watch it at home. No one's chomping popcorn behind me. And then the next Spider-Man film is something you want to see in the theater with a big screen with a whole bunch of your buddies. So, you know, maybe that's the way it's meant to be. Right, but, but those I, those movies are uh, those Marvel movies to a greater degree than the DC movies are like 150 to 250 million dollar budgets. Oh yeah, that oh, huger, bigger. And, yeah, and and some some crest 300. Uh, is it gonna? Where, where's the money going to come from? Like, how are these studios, like four of the eight studios are at least partially owned by Chinese companies, right? Uh, in, in, in Hollywood. So where's the money coming from? Well, I mean, it used to be DVD sales. That's pretty much gone. Right. Blu-ray, the same. Uh, if the Chinese market continues to kind of shrink, they're going to have to make more and more in America. So it'll be interesting to see how they can kind of prop up these huge budgets and still be profitable. It's it's hard. And, uh, you know, when these movies flop, they often flop in, in spectacular fashion. So, you know, you could have a movie that was maybe 150, 200 million to make, and that doesn't include the marketing and the promotion, which can often double the price sometimes. Um, if they make... 30 million at the US box office and don't make any traction overseas, you're losing a lot of money. So I, I, I don't know the, the, the dollars and cents behind the scenes, but just as on the surface, it seems like there could be real trouble ahead. Yeah. I mean, it, and that, it's, that's depressing, honestly. We'd like to be entertained. Uh, and <clears throat> it's, it's that rare, for, for me, the biggest entertainment is that rare confluence between <clears throat> like a great action movie that's also kind of introspective but also self-aware at the same time you know what i mean like uh, apocalypse now or something like that uh where yeah there's a lot of those action scenes and a lot of crazy shit but there's a great script great acting and you you see it quite a bit i mean it's not like hollywood's forgotten how to make movies they're still really good at it but they're choosing yeah. they're choosing to 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 stop doing what makes them successful, which is to be relatable, I guess. Before we started talking, I was on Twitter and I saw a story about the new Doctor Strange movie. And it mentioned how the director, Sam Raimi, didn't seem to know or have an ending to the film while he was shooting the film. And he was saying how frustrating that was and how that was an impediment to him making the movie. And I'm thinking, my God, yeah, you this is say. one of these movies with all the resources in the world. You don't have a script. You don't have an ending. You don't have a, a guide or a roadmap to what you're doing. And I, I saw it. I thought it was a bit of a mess. Not horrible, but you know that is often the case with these big kind of blockbusters. I heard a similar story years ago about the Pirates of the Caribbean movie where Johnny Depp and the director were kind of looking at each other like, What's happening in the scene? We don't even know. And when they don't know, maybe we don't know. So, you know, you got to be careful with these big movies there. They get to be too big for their own good, really. And you kind of lose the fact that, hey, it should be a story. It should move us. It should kind of reach out to us and it should make us think a little bit in between all the explosions and stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, sure. I mean, uh, yeah, that's, um, I've definitely gotten writing on my own, whether it was creative stuff or, uh, you know, back in the day, writing uh, national security white papers and stuff like that. I'll get halfway through a paragraph from time to time and be like, oh, I didn't really have any idea what the fuck I was planning here. I'm going to erase <laughs> all this and start over. Um, I don't know how you do it continuity wise as a showrunner or a script or a, or a, a screenwriter, right? How do you maintain continuity? You know how much extra effort it is to maintain continuity if you don't have that clear A to B linear 
even if you have A, B, and C plots and all this other stuff going on, if you don't have the ending yet, how do you? You have it has to result in unnecessary expositional dialogue at some point, right? To explain shit at the end. Yeah, because people look at the recent Star Wars movies. They had three Mm. movies with three well, three different sort of screenwriters and three different directions, and nothing seemed to make sense. And it seemed like the. For this movie was kind of trying to explain the last movie and it didn't have the cohesiveness that the great Star Wars movies had. And we look back, I, I, I grew up on Star Wars. I don't want to watch those movies ever again. I think they're terrible. And because uh, there wasn't a plan, there wasn't a sort of a, mm-hmm. a guide to what we're going to do with this story and uh, what a disaster. And of course, we saw the box office for each of those three last Star Wars films shrink each time out. Mm-hmm. I mean, they made a lot of money, no doubt, but could have made a lot more if they actually had a story. Sure, but you have to I do have to admit as much as I'm irritated with Disney for a lot of the stuff they do and I'm not a I'm not particularly a fan of um of uh uh of uh Pedro Pascal either just because he's kind of a cunt in my opinion, but uh <laughs> John Favreau has done a pretty amazing job with yeah. some kind of like canon adjacent star wars stuff and bringing it in and making a great show like the mandalorian is a really good show um it's i think it's, that show saved star wars honestly yeah, the, yeah the, you sure. know the, the that trilogy really kind of hurt a lot of fans didn't kind of uh disillusioned a lot of them and then john favreau comes along and saves it and by the way john favreau basically kicked off the mcu with iron man he directed yep. that he also directed the the best modern day Christmas story and elf. So he's a really talented guy. Yeah. So not a surprise, but yeah, no, I think he did a wonderful job with Mandalorian and made it feel like star Wars made it feel authentic. Wasn't woke and uh, introduced some powerful new characters and, and kind of shoved it back into the conversation again. That's what it needed. Yeah. I mean, g- good on him to be honest. Like you don't hear him talking too much about politics and, and why should, why it, it's funny. It's funny to say that, and it'd be like, oh, that's good. But why should we expect him? To, I don't give a fuck what John Favreau's politics are any more than I care what my chef's politics are. Is it, does it affect the steak? No. Yeah. Cool, man. <laughs> Cook my steak. I'm hungry. I don't give a shit about any of this other stuff. Um, and he's got a lot more. Like the Mandalorians, it's got another season coming out. Um, the book of uh, <clears throat> Boba Fett. I don't think he's involved in the new Obi Wan thing. Is he? No, he's not. So that who who's that? I'll I'll look it up real quick. That tr- latest trailer dropped today. Is it good? <laughs> yeah, that fucking man. That's the one I'm most excited about right now because it's my my understanding is it's Obi Wan after he puts gives Luke to his aunt, aunt and uncle. Right. It's about uh, like that ten ground. years after he yeah. get, he gives him to his aunt and uncle. Um, and they, I, I was in, I was impressed that they got Joel Edgerton back for that. By the way, because they cast him as Lars Olson whenever <laughs> he was like a nobody. Uh, Rupert Friend, uh, Rupert Fiend. That's not him. Um, I can't see who's doing this, but yeah, it's not Favreau. Hang on, I'll look it up. Deborah Chow, Joby Harold. She's a great fuck, man. That's a great cast. Good lord. Ewan McGregor, Hayden Christensen's coming back as uh, Darth Vader. So, is this? Do you know anything about this? I don't know a ton about this show. It comes out later this month. It's going to debut. Uh, we shall see. I, you know, we, it's so interesting. They've had much better success on the small screen than the big screen. You think it'd be the opposite, um, but I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, the stuff that is successful now that they're, they're trying to do is resuscitating old characters. Uh, I guess the, the Mandalorian is a new character, so that that was a that was a big win. But uh, I, I don't know. It's um, 
it's been a little hit or miss from Team Star Wars, but yeah. I, 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 they have new movies that they've talked about that have been kind of put on the shelf. Uh, they, they were going to give the Game of Thrones duo uh, a chance to make some movies that seemed to fall apart. Uh, Ryan Johnson, who butchered The Last Jedi, seemed like he was going to work with them. I don't know if that's going to happen. So you think about such a successful brand, how do you screw it up? I think they've mostly screwed it up with some minor exceptions. All right. We got some ads uh, to keep the show on the road. We love Ghostbed, ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. They have been a loyal sponsor for over five years now. Everybody loves them. They have super comfortable mattresses that last forever, and they're made in the USA. Cooling mattresses, the the Lux, the 3D Matrix, they're all great. They've got a 20-year warranty. Some even have a 25-year warranty. You can try it out for 101 nights for free, uh, uh, and if you send it back, no hard feelings. Uh, well, you pay for it, but you get your, all your money back if uh, if you don't like it. Again, they're cooling mattresses. It's, it matters here in Texas. It's 91 degrees and fucking humid today. I can't take it anymore. Uh, they also offer these bundle packages, which you've uh, certainly heard about at this point. If you purchase the mattress and the adjustable base and everything else you add to that, 40% off, and for everything else... Use the code DRINKINGBROS at ghostbed.com forward slash DRINKINGBROS. You're going to get 30% off everything. Get a mattress for like 25 35 bucks a month. They've got a zero down, 0% financing plan for up to 60 months. That's six zero months. That's five years. Uh, go to ghostbed.com forward slash DRINKINGBROS and get those deals. Yeah, and it's uh, maybe it's just uh, back in the day, you only really had HBO or Showtime right, to put out a series like... If you, if you were going to make something like The Mandalorian or something like that, you can't necessarily, with a, with a budget like that, that's not going on network television, probably, right? So it's going, to be, it's going to be some kind of premium service. And it's, it's, they're, they're, you're kind of limited there now with all the streaming stuff. I feel like it's probably better for as many, like a, a normal movie is going to have <clears throat> an A, B, and C plot, maybe some other stuff going on. But typically, that's, that's your formula you even see it in most screenwriting software, but in Star Wars, there's like a thousand things going on all the time. And I think it's better for the small screen. Like you need multiple episodes for that story to be told. And now there's uh speaking of Game of Thrones, uh House of the Dragon's supposed to come out this year too, right? Yeah, and there's gonna be a new Lord of the Rings. I mean, there's you know, they're they're recycling quite a bit. I, I, I wrote about this recently there's going to be a new dirty dancing film with jennifer gray they're going to make a prequel to the uh, hunger games movies and you know uh, people get grumpy about this and i totally get it but you know part of this is our fault because when they, when they do these kind of offshoots these reboots remakes whatever you want to call them we often go see it or we give it more attention than we do an original story so it it kind of empowers hollywood to say well we're going to keep doing exactly what you're telling us we want to you know you want from us so that's you know, I, as much as as much as I complain about that, I think we are part and parcel reason why it's happening. Sure. What else are we part and parcel to? I mean, we've we've I, I try to um, I, I I do try to behave in a way that um, reflects how I actually think and believe, um, which is to say, not not a. Uh, uh, spending my money on shit that I find morally reprehensible, like the government does, for example. Like I, it, it would be nice if the government didn't rob me once a year and then use the money on stuff that I think is, is fucked up. That'd be great. 
Uh, yeah. So I try to do that in my personal life too, or, or not do that rather. But it's hard. Well, I mean, I, I think it's an important point. I think it's something that's coming more vital as culture changes and how the culture wars rage on. Because if you're right of center and you want to support X or Y or you hate other things, mm. you you have the means to kind of make a statement. You could support art that you think is important. You know, there's so much art being created right now on the on the periphery, uh, out of the Hollywood ecosystem. A lot of comedians are kind of just doing Patreon, YouTube, podcasts. And these are the people who are the real rebels in comedy. These are the folks who are kind of saying it like it is and telling the jokes that others are too afraid to tell. Well, you know, support them, you know, subscribe to their platforms and and use your economic clout in a good way. And if you think that what Disney's doing, introducing sexual material to young kids is wrong, then cut that cord to Disney Plus and don't mm. go see the movies. And it's a bit of a sacrifice. Disney makes some good stuff, but uh, you know, you know, we have to send a message in some ways. And if you don't, then you'll get more of it. How have you done? Uh, I mean, being a uh, somebody from who, who's uh, you know not. I don't, I don't know much about your politics. I just know that you consider yourself to be center right. I guess um, that that's not a very popular position in the crowds that you run in, right? Like, it, how do, how do you do your job? You know, um, I have to say, it really hasn't affected me dramatically. Uh, I live in Denver. I cover Hollywood. I mean. It, in, in our day and age, you can be anywhere and cover Hollywood. You don't yeah. have to be in, you know, to be in California. But you know, I try to conduct myself as professionally as possible. Uh, I try not to be cruel or mean spirited when I cover content on my website and my podcast. Uh, when I when I critique someone, I don't say, "Well, they're ugly or they're fat or they're gross." I'll say, "You know what? I don't agree with this opinion, and here's why, and here's a link to my argument as to why." So I think doing all those things has protected me against some blowback. But you're right. I mean. The work that I do, my peers are overwhelmingly aggressively liberal, and mm. and often now they are showing it. You know, twenty years ago, if you read movie reviews, even if the critic was liberal, it was pretty neutral. It was pretty down the road. You didn't really get the sense of the politics of the critic. That's no longer the case at all, and it's almost every year it gets worse. So you know, the fact that I am right of center, in in theory, could put a cultural target on my back. But I, I've been able to kind of hang on so far, and. And uh, fingers crossed. Yeah, well, uh, look, look, it seems like uh, we're, we're onto the new wedge issue now, right? Like this has been, the Roe thing has been maybe, in the media, it's been considered the wedge issue for a long time. But if you look at exit polling, it's usually like 3 to 5% of people have abortion rights as one of their top three uh, uh, reasons for voting the way they did. That'll probably change this year, right? I assume that's going to... Mm-hmm mobilize quite a few people but <clears throat> it's like the art of being a film critic is it it's so I, I think people misrepresent what it is they think it's like ah, oh, it's just some fucking asshole that couldn't get into the industry themselves and they're being nitpicky about somebody else's stuff like no it's like an examination of the technical skill being used the effort the the vision uh, and then the execution of all of it, and then all of that set against the backdrop of larger society and how it all fits together and all that stuff. I mean, it's basically like it's more sociology than it is anything, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with that, but at the same time, I also think of it as a very throwback. Was it good? Was it bad? Was it worth your time? Because we're all super busy, and there's yep. never been more content <clears throat> flooding our homes, or smartphones, or tablets, or everything. So, I think my job is to say, is this worth your time? And I think that's something that maybe critics forget, or you know, or 
put in the distance where that should be front and center. Uh, again, I, I think my reviews do encompass a lot of things you're saying. And mm-hmm. I think it's one of the reasons why I enjoy what I do. And I, I think it's so interesting is because there are all these different factors. What does a movie say? You know, the 19, I think it was 84 Ghostbusters had a very libertarian message, oh, yeah. sort of get off yeah. my back government. And how did that incorporate itself into the story? That's fascinating. Mm. You know, the early 80s, kind of the slobs versus the snobs mm. of Caddyshack, <laughs> that has a cultural significance as well, in addition to being just funny. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I think these are all things of consequence. We can all talk about them. And at the end of the day, I used to go see movies with my buddies back in high school and just spend like an hour talking about the movies we just saw in a diner. And that's in a way, it's kind of just what I do now. It's just a different form. Yeah, but it's, uh, I mean, it's its a skill to be able to discuss and even opine on something, but not take a position on it. I think that's something that people have lost the ability to do. Like, we, we can have a conversation mm-hmm. about A without me. But like, you, we, we should be able to have a conversation about something without you not without you necessarily knowing exactly how I feel about it. If it's a, if it's a critique when it, that includes um, the, the technical skill, I guess, of making uh-huh. a good piece of art, whatever it happens to be. Like if it's a comedy, is it actually funny? Is it funny? And it, maybe it's a little woke too, but is it, is, the, is it funnier than it is woke? Then cool, that's probably worth my time. Then I can deal with that shit. I'm not going to put somebody on blast for, for leaking their opinions out or anything as long as the product is good. You know yeah. I mean? And, you know, I also try to be transparent. <clears throat> I do reviews for a uh, DC um, news station. And when I do those reviews, I am as straight down the line as humanly possible and try to hide whatever biases I may have. But on my website, hollywoodandtoto.com, I'm a right of center film critic. And I let you know that. But at the same time, I've seen liberal or left leaning films that I thought were quite good. And I'll be darned if I'm going to kind of say, oh, that wasn't good because it didn't agree with my worldview. Well, that's stupid. You know, was it funny? Was it interesting? Was it clever? And uh, I don't have to have movies that align with my group think or my worldview 100%. That's, that's, that's childish. So yeah. I think a good critic should be able to kind of say, hey, I don't agree with this, this, this point of view, but the characters were compelling and the story was interesting and it kept my attention and it made me think. That's good. Well, what is the hallmark of a, of a good film for you? Like, I, I'm, I'm sure it's a lot more complicated than you can just like a two sentence answer there, but what, what, what are you looking for when you go into this? You know, when I go to a movie screening, I have a pad and a uh, pen in my hand and I like it the best when I just like put the pad and pen down and just watch the movie right. because I'm there to kind of technically write notes. But if I get so wrapped up in the experience, I'm like, screw it. I'll just, I'll, I'll, when I go home, I'll type on my computer and I'll write my notes down. I want to get lost in the story. It's mm. as simple as that. I want to be engaged. I don't, I don't want to be bored. I don't want to look at my watch. And you know, it's funny. I uh, my wife was having like a health problem recently, and it, everything turned out fine. But it was on my mind significantly when I saw the last Spider-Man movie, No Way Home, and I thought, well, probably won't enjoy the movie. I got this weighing in my mind. But the movie was so fun and so diverting and so clever and such a, an homage to fans that I didn't think about my wife's situation. Like that's movies. It transports you. I think it's as simple as that. Um, that's a, that's a really interesting take. So you, you've, you said that <clears throat> you've, uh, you've watched some stuff that politically was a little scaled away from where you are, but sure. you still found uh, the movie to be really good. What, can you give me some examples of that? Uh, the perfect example for me is Book Smart. It came out maybe two years ago. About two teenage girls are about to graduate high school, and they've always been kind of goody goodies. They studied hard, and now they want to kind of party. 
It was maybe the most woke movie you'll ever see. Uh, aggressively woke, in your face woke. The characters were woke. The situations, but you know what? It had a great visual style. Mm. It had funny bits. Uh, the story kind of kept my attention. And even though I hate all this woke stuff, I was entertained and I gave it a good review. So I mean, I, I can't deny any of those things. You know, it's. But I let my readers know what it was and what it was. You know, the messages in there. But if it's a good movie, it's a good movie. I I I I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't admit that. Sure. I mean, I think that's. Uh... That used to be the case, though. I, a lot of people really enjoyed things like Born on the Fourth of July and Apocalypse Now, and some of the in Full Metal Jacket. But they don't exactly paint like the, these are extremely popular movies among people in the military right now, even now. So people who have a deep sense of patriotism that runs so far that they are willing to go join the actual military, right? But mm-hmm. they still find these films that are deeply critical, not just of the government, but of the military itself. And they find them really compelling because they tell true stories, right? I think people, people's bullshit meters go off and that's where you start to lose people. I mean, that's a big problem that's happening now because you're told, uh, you know, everybody's going to die from this virus, but protesting for BLM is more important, right? Yeah. But my buddy, John Nolte at Breitbart News has a way of describing the woke storytelling. He says it's not real. It's not human. It's not authentic. And that's why it's such a problem. You mentioned these these, uh, anti-war films. They're coming from a place of authenticity. Mm -hmm. Oliver Stone fought in the Vietnam War. You know, so you've got these voices that are adding real drama to what you see on the screen. They're not making it up. They, they, they've lived it, they've experienced it, maybe they've researched it. And that comes through the screen. And you mentioned the BS detectors we all have. Yeah, we, we can sense crap when we see it and we can sense something that's inauthentic. Mm. It, you, you don't even often have to s- describe it. You can almost feel or taste it. And that's why some people in the military who maybe don't agree with all those views understand this is an important film or this is something, that, a voice that should be heard. Yeah, I mean, it's, <clears throat> I think, I think it, it, tracks along the this one of the key features of the culture war in my opinion is that uh in philosophy there is the way things are and then there is the way things ought to be right those Mm -hmm. are the those are the two uh uh, i guess guardrails for life right so you you kind of there's a delta in between there and and you can you can make some change from time to time and, and you should right try to make things better obviously but when you confuse the way things ought to be when the way with the way things are like when people say well that's not fair like well fucking no shit dude no, <laughs> nothing is fair what the hell do you think the fact that 99.997% of all species that have existed on this planet are now extinct is fair of course it's not fair why would it be but i think that's the part where i think where these <clears throat> where these overly woke things lose me uh when i'm forced to participate in somebody else's delusions about what how things ought to be when that's just not reflective of reality and you because you can't you can't argue with a position like that because it's not rooted in reality it's not a falsifiable claim right yeah yeah i mean i think i think you're hitting on a good point it's it's uh, and we sense it you know and i think you know there's the it's kind of a glib line that get woke go broke but there's a lot of truth to that, that people, and it's so interesting because often people may, they, maybe they don't see the product. 
that is woke in question, but they kind of feel it, they sense it, they smell it, and they avoid it. So, you know, the recent Terminator film, which I actually thought was decent, but uh, had a lot of woke elements into it, was a box office dud by most comparisons. And I think that people just had the sense that, yeah, this is where it's going to go. You know, they're, 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 they're kind of pushing aside Arnold Schwarzenegger. They're playing up this female empowerment angles. Maybe I'm, that's not for me. I, I, I'll go watch uh, Terminator 2 again. That's, you know, that's my speed. <clears throat> sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, I actually, we, I have another show and uh, like every other show, we watch an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, just <laughs> live watch it and, and film ourselves. Uh, last week. It was uh, Commando, dumbest movie I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but it's it, the the funny part is we tried to watch Goonies first, and I had never seen it before. I, I was I've never been a f- big fan of those kid movies, even growing up. <clears throat> we tried to watch that, and it is unwatchable now, in my <laughs> opinion. Uh, it is. Just, it's one you have to watch as a kid, yeah. and then you watch as an adult, and you connect with your memories. Yeah. I agree. But even the two adults, my girlfriend and and our buddy who uh, were there watching it with me, were both looking at me like, "Hey, are you done with this yet?" And I'm like, "Yeah, this is stupid." <laughs> but we switched to Commando, and the the <laughs> this it's so stupid. First of all, he is a an Austrian dude. He's a retired colonel in the American Special Forces somehow, which is interesting enough. And then one of his other one of the guys, like the main antagonist in the in the film is uh, a guy who's apparently from like South Africa, who's also a retired special forces guy in America. Uh, now that would have been the case in the 1950s, but not so much now. Um, and then he meets this flight attendant and instead of getting her to safety and going on about his little war, he brings her with him everywhere he goes. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. It's dumb. It's, it's so dumb, but I really enjoyed that. Like it, it was 90 minutes of pure pleasure for me. Uh, and I find myself more and more going back and watching, like you were talking about with T2, like going back and watching these movies, not because they had one message or another, but because they had no message. And that's kind of what I was looking for when I went to the screen in the first place. Yeah. You know, I've been watching a lot of movie comedies, maybe like between 2000 and 2012 or so, give or take, because that's before the woke movement became. Mm-hmm. That's when we can just <clears throat> tell jokes and be be outrageous and and just give these crazy situations. And, and it's so it's liberating, man. When you, you, when you, when you've been forced to kind of, you know, watch woke comedy or you, you miss comedy in general, and then you see it and you, you hear that voice, that, that, that voice that's unencumbered by anyone. It's amazing. It, it's, 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 it's like gasping for air after you've been holding your breath for like a minute or two. It's, it's wonderful. And uh, I, I miss that. I miss those kind of comedy. I, I grew up in Howard Stern, man. He just was, would just say anything and he was fresh. He was bold. He was crazy. He was irreverent. He was smart. He was introspective. I, you know, Howard Stern's gone. The, the guy on the radio now is no longer that guy and the culture that we're living in right now. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't know what to do with him. Do you know, this is, this is a uh, kind of a depressing thing to do, but um, <clears throat> here are some of the best comedies of just 2008. You ready for this? You guys ready? Yeah. Uh, Pineapple Express, fucking hilarious movie. Love it. I've seen that movie a thousand times. Role Models, hilarious. Semi Pro, hilarious. Step Brothers, hilarious. Uh, let's see what else is on here. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Tropic, That's a good year for comedy, by the way. Yeah, Tropic Thunder. Damn. Uh, there's so many good movies just in this one year. You don't, I mean, that that Zohan movie was kind of stupid, but uh, <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. But it's kind of goofy. But anyways, yeah, that that to me is the best comedy year of my lifetime. 
And uh, that's a, that's the, I, I can't think of another year that had that many hits, honestly. Yeah. That good stuff, too. And Tropic Thunder, I, do you have to say you can't make that today? Isn't it obvious? And, and I think, uh, I think. Robert Downey Jr. was up for a nom- uh, uh, Best Supporting Actor nomination <laughs> for being blackface. But the joke, you know, it's funny. The, the joke wasn't on African-Americans. It was on egotistical actors and how, yeah. and how willing they are to go to get awards. I mean, you know, context is everything. Yeah, that's the problem with fundamentalism, though. There's no sense of irony or satire yeah. involved. I yeah. mean, that, and, and, and woke is a religion, and it is a fundamentalist religion for sure. Um, and like Blazing Saddles, that movie is not about promoting old hillbilly racists. It's about making fun of racist people. Yeah. Like the whole movie is just about that. About, mm-hmm. well, it's about like <clears throat> making fun of robber barons and, and racist people, basically. That, that's what it is. <laughs> and somehow it's like, oh, you're doing this thing. To sh- and and what, we shouldn't glorify this character. Nobody's glorifying the guy. It's a fucking yeah. Jewish dude whose family survived the Holocaust making a film about racist people to make fun of them because he's a comedian and that's what he does. Everybody can yeah. Like if he was a dramatical writer, he probably would have been involved in Schindler's List, but he wasn't. So he's involved in this. You know what I mean? Well, Joe Rogan really nailed this whole issue uh, a few weeks back. He was talking about comedy, how we like the conversation we're having right now, they don't make great comedies anymore. And he said, one of the reasons why is that when you have a character who's behaving badly on screen, there's a sense on the woke left that you're condoning it or celebrating it or honoring it. But no, you're not doing any of those things. You're saying, here's a wacky character on screen that we can laugh at. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I always bring up the Animal House example where mm. Bluto is trying to look in the uh, the sorority house's window, look at the girls who are getting naked. It's funny. It's outrageous. Do I want my son when he's that age to do that to sorority girls? Of course not. I'd kill him. But, you know, why can't we laugh at that? Why can't we laugh at people behaving badly? Why do we have to have role models across the screen? It's not the way life works. not the way comedies work. It's ridiculous. Well, That's where we are. The rule used to be, and luckily South Park started when this was the rule because they've not stopped in, in any way. But uh, <clears throat> the rule used to be that as long as you point out that the character is an asshole, then it's fine. Like, yeah. And that's one of the things... Um, Inside the actor's studio, they were talking about The Sopranos uh, one time. I don't remember who the guest was. I don't think it was. Uh, I don't think it was Tony. I don't remember who it was, but <clears throat> they were talking about The Sopranos and the brilliance of the fact that he was in the psychiatrist's office, right? And how it's basically like a, a soliloquy every single episode of him expositional dialogue, but it's in context, right? So it makes sense, and you're you're really hearing how much of a sociopathic piece of shit he is you mm-hmm. know what i mean like because when you see people act a way <clears throat> a certain way in context your brain just because it is the way it is tries to like okay that's you know maybe i would have done the same thing in that situation or maybe whatever right your 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 brain is just automatically contextualizing things but then when you start hearing somebody make excuses for themselves now you know they're a dick right and mm-hmm. i think that's important and that used to be the rule and now it's not anymore. Like you can't even, people just have no tolerance for discomfort, I guess. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. And that's something yeah. that, that you talk about in the book. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're at a point where if I'm offended, that becomes an issue. That becomes a, well, I can't be offended. I can't be put in an uncomfortable position. Uh, Dave Chappelle, not his last special, but the one before it, I thought it was genius because 
he was making me uncomfortable. He was kind of stating positions, often things I didn't agree with, but I'm thinking, okay, why is he doing that? And as the more I watch, I'm thinking he's challenging me. He's making me uncomfortable and bringing up these really interesting points because he's, he's saying, okay, you believe this or why? Shouldn't you question why you believe this? I mean, and only a Dave Chappelle, who's so good and so smart, could do that. But why can't we have those comedy voices who are kind of challenging us and pushing us into uncomfortable positions? It's a good thing. We we shouldn't be so sheltered and so unable to accept other opinions that we shrink into our safe space for this. It's it's absurd. But that's that's where we are, and that's where the culture is is pushing us. And the whole area of victimhood is like the ultimate triumph at this point. If you could be a victim, you are atop the heap. And it's sad. Yeah, that is sad. Uh, it's it, it used to be the job of philosophers, I guess, uh, before the middle part of the second millennia um, to, I guess, send things up, uh, make people think like that. Playwrights, Shakespeare in particular, like challenging authority in England as 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 he did, uh, both comedically and dramatically, I suppose, but it's especially in comedy, <clears throat> satirizing things. Um, I, I th- it's such an important it's such an important process for a human being to entertain an idea that they don't agree with and understand why somebody else might believe it. Not not so they'll come to believe what the other person believes but to understand there's a reason for it and they're not just evil that's not my enemy because they think that they had they went through this and here's their explanation for why they think what they think maybe it makes sense maybe it doesn't uh and but that even if it does make sense that doesn't mean you have to adopt their idea it means that oh i understand that that person's not evil we just happen to disagree and now we can find some kind of you know a uh, 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 middle ground i guess for lack of a better phrase yeah, I mean, what you're describing is what should happen on college campuses across the country. You should be exposed to a variety of views, and then you should be able to defend your views. Mm. And I think it's one of the key advantages that people on the right have against the left is that we're used to that. We see the other point of view all the time. It's often shoved at our face. Mm. And if you're a person on the left, you can basically going to go through life without ever getting uh, bumped around without ever experiencing another point of view, you know, because the media and Hollywood and academia are all on your wavelength. And then all of a sudden you're challenged and you think, well, okay, why do you think that? You freak out. And that's when I think you get called a racist, a sexist, a homophobe, you name it, because they don't have, they don't have the ability to actually debate and to counter your views. And that's a terrible thing. Yeah. It's not, I mean, if you can't steal man, the other person's argument, then you don't really understand your own, frankly. Yeah. Uh, tell us about the book before we get out of here. Tell us what the what's what's in it, and uh, and what message you're trying to get across. Yeah, I mean, it really covers virtue uh, woke Hollywood. It's called Virtue Bombs: How Hollywood Got Woke and Lost Its Soul, and it looks at what's going on either both behind the scenes and also what we see on screens. So it looks at these gender reboots, which are all about empowerment, not about entertainment. It's about virtue signaling celebrities who are absurd and laughable, but it really is just an attack on free expression, creativity, and how dangerous that is to the culture. Uh, and I think that what you see on, in Hollywood bleeds into the rest of the culture. I mentioned that about uh, you know colleges. I think the same thing holds true in Hollywood. Just a quick example, Scarlett Johansson, one of the most attractive actresses in Hollywood. She's talented. She's got it all. When the woke mob came for her, she bowed quickly and did the apology tour. Now, if someone that powerful can't stand up for their principles, 
what chance do you or I have who are far less, have less clout, less cachet, less ability to kind of defend ourselves? It really does matter. But it also ends with a bit of hope and looks at some of the, the voices who are kind of speaking out against this and why they, I think, will win eventually. I just don't know how long it's going to take. Yeah. I mean, what, what's your... Uh... What's your advice for people like the the regular person who is a consumer, right, of this type of material? Because you you don't see you you don't see a whole lot of people taking stands. Certainly not publicly, right? I mean, Chris Pratt is really quiet about it, but he does not buckle to anybody. He never he never apologizes for anything he believes. Um, he he's uh, <clears throat> a believer, I guess, uh, Christian guy. I'm not. I don't really care about any of that stuff. Um, but I don't feel like somebody should have to defend themselves for their personal beliefs uh, uh, in a way that where, where your job is on the line. Like that's insane mm. to me. We would never, we would never have thought to do any of this before. Um, and it's, and it's super interesting that Hollywood is one of the leaders on it too, because the McCarthyism bullshit that happened back <laughs> in the day, you would think they would learn their lesson. I mean, that's the lesson is, and it's the same thing with this, uh, this disinformation governance board nonsense. Like imagine the tool you're creating in the hands of your worst enemy. And would you still create the tool? Most people would say no. Right. And that's the, the hallmark of good legislation is it's clear, concise and enforceable. The concision part or the concise part rather is that it applies only to this one limited thing. So it can't be abused. That's the whole point. Hollywood was severely abused by McCarthyism in the fifties and, and even into the sixties. I mean, like in it to an insane level of like, forget about Watergate. Uh, Hoover was spying on everybody in Hollywood and <clears throat> man, you would think that that would be a good lesson. Like we can't let that happen again, even if it's in our favor. And I don't understand why they've completely forgotten about this. It's amazing. It's a great point. And it's something that uh, Hollywood has been, I guess the term is cosplaying or cosplaying Mm. the blacklist for the last 20, 30 years, different movies, different documentaries, different productions. They keep retelling elements of that story again and again. Being the Ricardos was about that as well. Uh, That came out late last year. And they didn't learn the lessons of it. They clearly didn't learn the lessons and they're A-OK with it if it's on their side or seemingly on their side. It is one of the biggest tragedies uh, that you can imagine in Hollywood. And I think they're going to look back at this period of time with an incredible amount of shame. And if they don't, they should. I agree with that. All right. Well, we got to get out of here. Thanks for coming today. Tell everybody where they can find you on social media, where they can find your book. Yeah. Uh, the book is Virtue Bombs. You can find it at amazon.com or any other bookstore. Uh, my website is hollywoodintoto.com. And my podcast every week, it's called Right on Hollywood. All right. Great. Thanks for coming today. We appreciate it. Uh, and for the rest Thank of you, you, we'll see you in hell. Thank you.